Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Wednesday, February 22nd, and welcome to another episode of The Ben Jarofsky Show. It's Monroe Wednesdays on the show. That means Monroe Anderson's here, and he's got a special guest with him, Tiffany Walden of The Tribe. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more, including columns from your very own Ben Jarofsky. And uh, hey, if you want to help out Ben Jarofsky, and if you want to help out yourself, find some more columns, find some more extras, head over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Critical Race Theory Paul and Wednesday, and here's why. Well, I've been telling you guys for the last several weeks that Paul Vallis is a MAGA man. I've been telling you guys for the last several weeks, several months, that Paul Vallis spent most of 2021, 2022 courting MAGA. We all know he's got the consolidated MAGA vote in the city of Chicago. It's probably enough with uh, his support on the lakefront and the Gold Coast to make him in the put him in the runoff so chicago i just want you to come face to face with who you want apparently at least on the north side and the gold coast on the northwest side and the southwest side to be your mayor okay i i'll preface this by saying this is generally a democratic town when it comes to presidential elections 85 percent at least of the city of chicago have voted for let's just run it down 2020 joe biden 2016, Hillary Clinton. 2012, Barack Obama. 2008, Barack Obama. 2004, John Kerry. 2000, Al Gore. How about that? I just did that from memory, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not even using notes. All right? So you're a Democratic town, Chicago. 85% of you, at least. 15% of you love MAGA a little too much. Uh, but you love that. that's it. That's the breakdown. Here's the man you're about to make as mayor, Chicago. I'm just saying this. This is Paul Vallis in 2021 with wire points, which is some right-wing outfit, talking about critical race theory. Here, and I am now quoting Paul Vallis, and I'm not going to do a dramatic reading. Uh, Monroe Anderson sitting by. It's the first time he's heard these quotes, Monroe, so get ready. I'm just going to do it straight, Monroe, without an invitation of Paul Vallis. Quote, here's Paul Vallis on critical race theory. When you introduce a curriculum that is not only divisive, but a curriculum that further undermines the relationship of children with their parents, with their families, that's a dangerous thing. Just let me just interrupt. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) God damn. What? (laughs) Undermines the relationship of children with their parents. Anyway, back to the quote. And for white parents, I mean, how are you going to discipline your child When your child comes home and your child has basically been told, you know, that their generation, their race, their parents, their grandparents, 
they have discriminated against others and they have somehow victimized another person's race. End of quote. That's the man you're about to elect, Chicago. That's your guy. That's your guy. I this this quote makes absolutely no sense. Just like this, the sense of like white people as victims is really bizarre and twisted because it's like somehow or other in the mind of Paul Vallis, the man you Chicago are about to elect as your mayor, just saying somehow or other in the mind of Paul Vallis, if some social studies teacher teaches children about our history, meaning slavery, Jim Crow, Evan Pettus Bridge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that will result in a white child not eating his broccoli. I mean, I'm like, I'm trying to get it. And I know I struggle, MAGA. I really am trying to understand you. I've always tried to understand you. I'm like, where is your mind at any given time? You know, and I really, I'm really working hard. But I need to know, MAGA, what is the correlation between learning about our history Learning, for instance, that there was an uprising from white people in 1983 at the prospect of Harold Washington being mayor, just saying a little history lesson <laughs> that under Mayor Paul Vallis would probably not be taught in Chicago public schools because it would upset white children and then they would be disruptive when they got home. <laughs> but how is that a core? What's the connection between learning history and being rude and disrespectful to your parents. I, I can't see it, but it's a good thing I'm not alone in this show. I have to help me understand the mind of Paul Vallis. Monroe Anderson, legendary Chicago uh, journalist, comes in the show every Wednesday and is always instructive in helping me understand the minds of MAGA. And a new guest, first time out of uh, first time guest, Tiffany Walden, the editor of The Tribe. Uh, the online publication, which is on fire in this election, one breaking story after another. Monroe, we'll go to you first. You're our official Paul Vallis MAGA explainer. Please explain to me, Tiffany, you're on deck with an explanation. What the hell Paul Vallis is talking about? Go. I have known Paul since um, Harold Washington was mayor. And during that time, he was presenting himself as a liberal. Something happened along the way, uh, probably an opportunity. That would be my guess. But this is just sheer nonsense. Uh, this whole right-wing CR uh, critical race theory knocking is basically because they know that history in America has not been is not treated African Americans kindly. So what they're doing is, with, in, instead of presenting history as as warts and all, what they want to do is present their children with bedtime stories, fairy tales. Once upon a time, uh, there were the, these um, people from Africa who who immigrated to America, and they got to get free housing and free clothes and free meals. And they just helped the master out on, on the plantation periodically. But they were very happy. Okay, so I understand. 
they want to uh, that there's an urge to uh, whitewash American right. history. But this is taking it one step further. I'm going to read the quote again, and then we're going to get an interpretation from Tiffany Wald, because I think uh, she can really help us here. All right, here we go, Tiffany. Get ready. And for white parents, I mean, how are you going to discipline your child when your child comes home and your child has basically been told, you know, <laughs> that their generation, their race, their parents, their grandparents, they have discriminated against others and they have somehow victimized another person's race? Please, Tiffany Walden, explain to me the correlation between teaching a child about history of race relations in this country and having a disobedient child who will not listen to one's parents on something like eating your broccoli. Help me out, Tiffany Walden. I have so many thoughts that I don't even know which one to start with. <laughs> but what, where I will start is um, I posted that quote this morning on my Twitter page. Um, it's going crazy right now particularly one person in the Paul Vallis camp and mindset, because I know we're, we're trying to understand this mindset, they replied under the tweet and said, quote, no child should be made to feel ashamed for the color of their skin. Paul Vallis is not wrong, end quote. So uh, the thing about this is when it comes to whiteness, and white children, they should not feel wrong or ashamed, rather, for the color of their skin. For Black children, since we have gained consciousness from the moment that we gain consciousness, our skin is the only thing that people see from, I don't know, five years old on up. Um, so for me, growing up in North Lawndale on the West Side, I have always known that I'm Black. And I have always known what that means. I took the Madison Street bus to go to school every day. I took the Madison Street bus um, to Oak Park. Going from Pulaski to Austin, then to Ridgeland, you see a dramatic difference in the lives of, of other people who um, don't live in the neighborhood that you live in. I went to a, a predominantly black Catholic school in Oak Park named St. Catherine, St. Lucie. Uh, we started a basketball team when I was five, when I was in fifth grade and we got kicked out of the archdiocese because they said we were too aggressive. We were winning. We won all the games until the championship game and the championship game the referee cheated. And that was my first time really understanding how whiteness works. The referees uh, did not call any play fouls or anything for us. They only called it for the other school, which was a predominantly white school and team. So we lost our championship game because <laughs> we were black, black girls, too aggressive. That's the end of it. And we could not play in the Archdiocese League the next year. So for black kids, you had there is no other history there is no other narrative but in school paul vallis being a person who was in charge of schools we can come in and we can paint these pictures like monroe said you know manifest destiny is a huge fairy tale that people came that white people came in from europe and saved 
indigenous people, save Native Americans from themselves, save Black people from themselves, save the world from itself. That is what history has been. The moment that, um, you know, a lot of our Black ancestors came in and decided to tell their own stories, the Frederick Douglass, the uh, the Ida B. Wells, everybody else in that tradition, then it became, oh, you all are telling slanted stories when it's really you're telling the experience of what happened to you. And these people cannot live with themselves if they have to face every single day that what their ancestors did is the reason why there's large populations of black and brown and indigenous people in this country that um, do not have an equal footing and equal access to things. Yeah, then one other thing that it occurred to me, for these white people that that um, don't, don't want their little snowflake children's feelings hurt, their children listen to rap music. Rap music sells as much as it does because white children are listening to it, not black children listen to it also, of course. But I mean, the, the greater audience is white kids. Yeah. And so that makes no sense. It's like... <laughs> They listen to the music, but then when you go to class or something like that, you or or you you, you study someplace, then it's, it's it's just the opposite of what the rappers are saying. That's nuts. Okay. And it's crazy because we're in a city like Chicago, where uh, a subgenre of rap called drill is one of the biggest, most popular genres of music around the world. You have drill in in London. You have drill in New York. You have drill everywhere. Our drill like leaders and pioneers everybody knows their names house music everybody knows house music pioneers names and like monroe said no one wants to understand the history of how this music was created this music was created out of a resistance to oppression uh this music was created drill particularly was created because people wanted to tell their story about how growing up in a um neighborhood that has been intentionally divested in has impacted their everyday life so everything about blackness is cool and and white kids want to wear it they want to wear our clothes they want to wear braids they want to wear afros they want to have uh, locks they want to do this they want to do that until it's time to actually understand where these traditions come from then it's like oh no we don't need to talk about the history of that just listen to the music and vibe like cool. all right <laughs> uh so i think i'm going to pass for a moment on trying to uh, get either one of you explain what the hell Vallis was absolutely actually saying in that. I agree with everything you guys said. He said what he said. He said what he which was just just was just batshit crazy. Yeah, that was a signal to the MAGA crowd. There you go. That I'm one of you. Yeah, that's yeah. I so I, I feel your pain. I share your concern. I agree that that's just it was just a signal uh even if it was just a nonsensical signal it could just been babbling uh i love you maga i love you so all right now uh i'll start with tiffany and then we'll go to monroe with this question so monroe and i talk all the time uh, uh tiffany about the intentions of maga on a national level when they invoke rhetoric like this uh which is a generally an attempt just to give example of passing laws that make it harder for black people to vote. Okay, so uh, therefore uh, the the Republicans can win the uh, statewide elections in Georgia, let's say, or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. So there's this very specific political strategy to what they're doing. 
Paul Vallis is running for mayor of the city of Chicago. One more time, ladies and gentlemen, 85% against MAGA. Probably will be in the runoff. Good chance will be our next mayor. So politically, in your humble opinion, when he uses rhetoric like this, what is that a lead up to in terms of policies that he wants to implement here in Chicago? If you follow what I'm saying, in other words, he's using rhetoric like this to get elected. So what does that suggest he's going to do as mayor of the city of Chicago uh, if he is successful in getting elected? We've already seen um, the trail of his um, policies and decision making over the years. We've seen what privatization of schools has done to black and brown communities here in Chicago. Uh, you talk to people who teach down in New Orleans. I have a um, a sorority sister who uh, was a teacher down in New Orleans. They hate him. <laughs> they can't stand him. They don't want you to talk about Paul Ballas in New Orleans. Uh, so his track record is already there that he's uh, not interested in providing quality um, and accessible education for uh, black and brown kids in Chicago. Is his that's just not of interest to him. This privatization thing that he's continuing to to push is what he's going to continue to do. And that is not something that is um, beneficial to black and brown communities on top of he might get in here and also say, well, we can't teach black history in schools either because like, why would we even talk about that? That's not even real, <laughs> you know? So there's just no telling um, what he's going to do because yes, he's pandering to the mega crowd um, but if we learned anything from what we just witnessed with Trump, Trump got in office and was the exact ass that he was when he was running. <laughs> so uh, not calling Paul Vallis an ass, but it's following in the same trajectory. And that's what we're going to get. Uh, before I turn it over to Monroe, I uh, follow up to something you said earlier. Uh, you got that response uh, on your Twitter from someone who supports Vallis, I think you said, uh, that white uh, children should not be ashamed uh, of their white skin. Uh, has Vallis, I've been on preparing for the show, I haven't seen this. Has Vallis responded that you know of to uh, the publication of this quote, which was, this quote is actually, as I said at the outset, is from an interview in 2021. Has Do you know if Vallis himself uh, has responded? No. I haven't seen anything just yet. Yeah, I'd be curious how he twists this one. All right, Monroe, uh, your thoughts. What are the what does this signal the objectives of a mayor Vallis would be? Oh, uh, he's going to make Chicago great again. <laughs> I mean, it's just what they're doing. You know, and, and, and Willie Wilson is um, and. A better, he's aiding and abetting uh, Vallis on this. But what's going to happen if Paul gets in office, and the way he's talking and acting, is we're going to have occupying uh, forces back in the black community, police forces, whose not whose job is not to serve or protect, but to control and contain. Uh, so we will see a a reintroduction of stop and frisk 
you know, because everybody's concerned about crime. And when they talk about crime, they're talking about black people. Um, they're talking about anybody else but us. And um, I, I, I sent you this, this community um, um, network called Next Door, where, where people get on and talk about what's going on in their community. And what white people talk about in Lincoln Park, for example, is they, what they are doing. And um, they, don't, they don't say they, the black people, but they say they, and everybody knows who they are. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, and so this is what, what's going on. And if he gets into office, it will go, it will be magnified. And he, he's already, he's just to add to that too, he's already mentioned that, you know, he's not into um, the mandate that police officers and city workers have to live in the city, you know, that they, so he he's implied, or I think he's actually said that he wants to see police from other jurisdictions and military come into Chicago and police. That's the same thing that Trump said when he said, uh, that the top gang thugs have taken over Chicago and that he's going to send in the military to uh, to police the city. Um, so he's he's already saying these things in debates publicly. Um, and it's, it's, it's only going to get worse if he is elected into office. Uh, it will become a heavily policed, almost militarized state. Uh, well, let's go into that a little bit. I'm going to hold off uh, on a question I was going to ask as a follow up to something Monroe said, and that just so let me uh, get out of this without uh, bringing us back to the 1983 election, because as I said to Monroe before we went on the air, Tiffany, I just get in that 1983 vibe all over again. I've lived through it once. I can't believe I'm going to live through it again. And Monroe knows what I'm talking about because he lived through it, too. Uh, and 83, of course, uh, Washington, and then the after before it's too late campaign. Uh, but the rhetoric of policing, uh, Tiffany, you and I were talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, the rhetoric of policing has radically changed uh, in the, the two and a half years, I think it's been since uh, the, the video of George Floyd's murder. Uh, I, I've, we've talked about it on the show. We've watched it change in real time. I see the commercial I just saw before we went on the air, the commercial that Lori Lightfoot's running uh, against Brandon Johnson to effectively say Brandon can't win because he did a defunder. And then she pulled a quote from Brandon from that radio uh, station whose name I can't remember because they fired me. Uh, but anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, I always seem to re can't remember that name. <laughs> hey, Brandon, what are you doing on that radio station that fired me? Uh, sorry about that, Tiffany. I didn't mean to go there. Uh, anyway, uh, but uh, I told Brandon not to go on that radio. Uh, uh, Isn't so that where truth matters? <laughs> Unless you're talking about Chicago politics. Uh, you're allowed to criticize Trump. And don't say anything bad about the mayor, Rahm. Uh All right. Anyway, um, uh, sorry about that, Tiffany. I didn't mean to go there. Uh, <laughs> so, I can't help myself, as the song says. So, uh, but he he mentioned defund, and now she's uh, Lori Leffert's running out of a commercial over and over. Defund, defund, defund. He's a defunder. <laughs> he can't win. He's a defunder. Uh, why don't you go uh, just explain what's happened here? This this transformation, <laughs> like nothing. Ha you know what I mean? Of rhetoric in I don't know. 
it's been two years, but I think the, the transformation happened within like two months, but take it away, Tiffany. Yeah, it happened pretty quickly, even after um, the uprisings in 2020, but essentially in 2020, um, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd, and so many others, um, we had this big racial reckoning moment that everyone swore up and down that the revolution is being televised and that we're we're going to see changes in um, ideology around policing. For the first time, I think we saw um, defund the police become a mainstream talking point. Uh, we also saw hints of abolition become a talking point where people wanted to, um, you know, discuss the, in the entire institution of policing and incarceration and how we need to um, move away from that and, and instead reallocate funding to um, communities and investing in communities and healing communities. Um, so many people were on co corporations. You saw commercials, you saw all of these different statements of uh, solidarity. Everyone was on board with things in 2020, um, except Mayor Lightfoot. She's, she has been pretty straight up, like, I'm not a defender. Like, she said that over and over again. Um, but, but now there's been such a hard pivot away from uh, 2020 that we're now back to we need more police presence. We need more police on the force. We need more police this, more police that. And um, Chicago already is, uh, has more police per capita than any city in the country. Uh, so by definition, we should already be like the safest place on earth, shouldn't we? <laughs> uh, so us continuing to have this conversation around adding more police into communities instead of actually addressing the root causes of 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 crime and and which comes from po uh, poverty it comes from mental health we just went through an entire pandemic where we've lost actual people people who have died the black community was heavily impacted by the pandemic um in the early onset of it uh people are hurt and people don't have anywhere else to turn to and for us to still think that policing is the solution to that is crazy you know like we have to start thinking about things beyond policing and thinking about how do we actually go in and heal communities. If you look at safe communities anywhere in this country, they have resources, they have jobs, they have access to jobs, they have just access, period. Um, from when I was growing up in North Lawndale to today, my neighborhood looks worse, actually. It does not, like, it was already bad. It looks worse now. There's less um, opportunity in the neighborhood. So, to me, this whole thing about policing is really just continuing to an effort to to push people out of Chicago. I think that there's this, as Paul Vallis has said, we want to take back our city. And in taking back our city, we have to police the hell out of these people, incarcerate them, get them out the way, move them out of um, the prized areas of the city that Black people used to frequent. Black people used to live in West Loop, for example. Black people used to live in these areas, these pockets of the city where now the rents are, you know, $2,100 and up for a one bedroom apartment. They're taking back the city slowly, like slowly, and it's happening with each each election. And if we continue to let this fear mongering of we need more police um, win, it's only gonna continue to happen and more and more black people will, won't be able to live here. Okay, then let me, let, 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 let's, let's go to the, the gorilla in the room, Dallas is the only white candidate mm -hmm. 
everybody else is black or except for Chewy, who's who is Mexican. So he's the great white hope. In the meantime, we have seven black people running for office, acting like it's the, the, the natural, the predictable choice is going to be a black mayor. Uh, back in uh, the 80s, late 80s, when I was Sawyer's press secretary, the the assumption, the 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 assumption, the MO at that time was it was gonna either be Sawyer or Tim Evans. Guess what? It was <laughs> <laughs> they split the black vote. And um, we got Richard Daly for 20 years. I mean, you know, what's happened as a result of that election was um that at that time, Chicago was arguably the black capital of America. When we lost that election, we lost political political control. The the shift went to Atlanta slowly but surely because Atlanta has elected a black mayor one after the other for decades now. So they have consolidated power. Um, we have given ours away or lost it. And, and therefore, uh, I died, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I'm, I'm just heartbroken. Well, I, 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 we had a, I urge everybody that didn't hear yesterday's show with Delmarie Cobb. She went on a riff on this very topic. So I urge everybody to check out that show. Uh, Delmarie was on fire yesterday. But uh, the curious thing, and putting the policing issue to the side, the one thing I'm obsessive about is the economic development, uh, how that's how that money is spent in Chicago. And uh, Tiffany and Monroe, I have to tell you, really is no difference in how that money is doled out but under Lori Lightfoot than when it was under Rom or Daly. I mean, the TIF program favors gentrifying neighborhoods. It's our chief economic development tool in the city of Chicago. It's, as long as you have a program that favors gentrifying neighborhoods as your prime source of economic development money, guess what? The gentrifying neighborhoods will prevail. And it was Paul Vallis and Mayor Daley who created Chicago's TIF program more or less back in the 90s. And it was Rahm Emanuel and Lori Lightfoot who embraced it. So I totally agree with uh, Delmarie Cobb, when she says it was just, this is the strategy. Mm -hmm. This was, this was the plan. And I know, I know, Tiffany, you're probably thinking, oh man, you're just some old conspiracy theorist. I don't think. I'm no, no, I agree. I'm, I, I've, I've always thought that that was the plan. When I, again, growing up, my grandmother owned uh, the two properties that we had in North Lawndale. Um, and I remember her saying in the 90s that this, I guess this was when like UIC was just kind of expanding, expanding, expanding. And I remember her saying like, you know, at some point they are going to make it back this far west to Pulaski and we they're going to price all of us out. The taxes and everything is going to price all of us out. And um, they haven't made it back to Pulaski yet. But they're still moving. We're probably back to what California now is happening in Douglas Park. Um, 
there's like, you know, uh, cool, quote unquote, white people in living in Douglas Park. Um, so it's happening <laughs> and it's going to continue to happen. And when and and it's going to get to a point where we just simply can't afford to live in the city no more or and or we don't simply have the the, the foundational resources to live in the city anymore if you live in north londale there are no grocery stores you don't have access to a grocery store even when i was young we would drive to oak park to go to the grocery store from pulaski to oak park to go to the grocery store and that's we had a car so imagine people on the bus taking the bus to go to the grocery store like it's insane whereas if you live in lincoln park there's a little um cool like grocery store probably on your corner with access to fresh food and stuff you just walk over there every day and pick up your Vegetable you cook that night. Yeah, no, it's it's not that good. <laughs> it's not, but um, where I live, there is a all an Aldi's and a Trader Joe, a seven minute walk from my house. Uh, there's a um, Mariano's, a fifteen minute walk from my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's not on the corner stuff because uh, in Lincoln Park the they tried to have one of those go 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 look or something. There's some new green grocer type thing. Yeah, they tried to have it on Armitage, but um, it didn't work out. They they closed there, but but they're 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 in Bucktown. There are a couple of them over in Bucktown, so that exists. But but the th- the thing is, there are all sorts of goods and services in Lincoln Park that are not on the west side or the south sides. Of, of of the of the streets, and that's um, intentional. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so Monroe Anderson fans who are wondering when Monroe and Ben are going to have their weekly uh, Donald Trump MAGA talk, we will get to that. All right. We're doing some local. We're opening with local, but we go. We'll talk about the grand jury in Georgia. Don't worry. We got a lot to say about that. Lock uh, him up. Lock <laughs> him up. <laughs> We'll get to it. Unbelievable. The grand jury forewoman spoke. Blew my mind. I've never heard a grand jury person like like be so open about what's going down. Uh, the news newsmen of uh, the, this country are losing their minds. Uh, but I want to come back to a couple things uh, before we conclude this conversation uh, and let Tiffany get back to her day. Uh, and I'll start with um, the Tribe article uh that ran i want to say it was about two weeks ago tiffany oh man did it touch a nerve uh and it had to do with uh, jesus chewy chewy garcia uh and his connections or lack thereof with black voters uh and i had my uh my realization that there were tr- troubles in paradise uh in 2015 uh when i wa- watched in disbelief uh, as Rahm Emanuel captured more than 50% of the vote in the black wards against Chewy in the runoff and uh, defeated Chewy. Black voters elected Rahm to a second term. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, that's, I know I'm letting white voters off the hook because they were, but they were already, they had already swallowed uh, uh, Rahm's Kool-Aid. So, uh, you know, and now they're swallowing Vallis's heck of a job, white voters. Uh, but anyway, um, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the themes of the article uh, and some of the issues uh, that you identified uh, that Chewy Garcia faces when he tries to win over black voters? For sure. So one of the questions that we posed was, is Chewy out of step with the progressive movement? Um, and 
and us talking to a lot of um, black and brown organizers and leaders in the community, um, they said yes, that uh, he is out of step with the movement. And I think the, the thing about progressivism is uh, I think people think that once you're deemed progressive, that lasts forever. Right. Like, you know, one, that one idea that you had in 1996, that was real cool in 1996, that that street cred for the rest of your life. Hello, Paul Ballas. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the thing about progressivism, it is a it is a moving body of water. So if you today are not on the wave of what progressivism is doing and talking about, you are no longer progressive. Um, and that is the case with 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 Chewy. There's no denying that Chewy has done some amazing things in his career. There's no denying that Chewy, um, you know, was a part of the black and brown uh, unity building in the 80s, um, along with uh, Harold Washington and Rudy Lozano and all of those guys um, and, and women too. Um, but <laughs> that does, that brings us back to today where some of the decisions that he's made uh, have not aligned with progressivism. For one, he's calling for more policing. Um, he wants to hire more police. And that that's probably the number one <laughs> thing that is out of line with uh, where the progressivism movement is right now. Um, he also, I believe, uh, I'm trying to remember correctly, his position on um, on uh, bring Chicago home, you know, all of those different, like the 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 peace book, for example, their organizers are calling for uh, the Good Kids, Mad City peace book uh, to be passed, which is something that would, um, you know, reallocate funding from the Chicago Police Department to, um, you know, mental health accessibility uh, to different, you know, uh, resources that Black and Brown communities need to in order to thrive. And uh, Chewy said he's not with the peace book. He doesn't. Um, he he would not pass that if he was elected. So there's just so many, um, I think, breaking points that people are concerned about with Chewy that really calls into question his ideas of progressivism. Not to mention that even I think last week he just uh, endorsed someone in the um, 33rd Ward who is endorsed by the FOP. You know, so it's just like, what even is happening here? What, what is the goal? What is, what is his, what is he trying to achieve? And uh, at this point, no one really knows where, like, what, what his ideology is at this point. Yeah, uh, Tiffany, Tiffany's alluding to the fact that uh, Jesus Garcia endorsed Sammy Martinez in the race against Rosanna Rodriguez uh, for uh, Alder, Alder uh, of the Thirty Third Ward. That one caught me off guard uh, for certain. Monroe, uh, you were around when uh, the Black uh, Brown Coalition was strong in the 80s. Uh, yes. I think uh, three out of the four Hispanic aldermen in the city council, I'm doing this from memory, supported Harold, uh, and one was with the, the Verdoliacs. Right. Uh, so, where has it gone wrong, in your humble opinion? Uh, it went wrong when. Axelrod and handled um, Daly's election. And what they, they did, in effect, was take the Hispanic vote, voting block, and shift it to Daly, 
from there. Hispanics, um, uh, Louis, Louis Garcia. Louis Gutierrez. Right. Gutierrez. I mean, yeah, Louis, Louis Gutierrez was, was, um, a big bold sellout right off the bat. And, and that was the shift. It happened then. And it's, um, you know, and it's, it was, it's partially the black community's fault because we were at each other's throats instead of joining together and just saying, okay, look, um, Sawyer, you, 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 you get a couple of terms, then Evans gives a couple of terms and we'll just keep it going like that. And of course that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and then uh, Luis Gutierrez uh, used that split in the black community to justify him supporting our uh, Richard Daly. Goes right. Uh, well, I, they don't even they, they don't even know who to vote for. So I'm just going to cut a deal. I'm right, like, exactly. Man, that is slick. <laughs> Go, gonna blame like blame it on the black people. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, as Delmarie said yesterday. Let's not forget uh, HDO, the rise of HDO that the Daly created in the '90s that really drove a wedge uh between black but yeah it's sad it's kind of sad uh to be what was the response by the way uh to that article from the chewy garcia campaign did you get any response oh, from them of course they're they're not in favor of it <laughs> but we tried to interview them we spent uh a couple of weeks trying to interview them i think from uh his his speech at the city club we tried to interview him after the speech and was kind of uh not given access uh, we reached out a couple of times to try to, you know, get uh, thoughts and uh, have an interview with him about it, and uh, we didn't get the access. So, um, yeah, but we went. We've been to quite a few forums, mayoral forums. Uh, we talked. Tony had talked to so many people in the community um, across age range, um, across ethnicity, and it just really is this question of, um, you know, is Chewy really moving with the movement? And right now he's not. All right, uh, Monroe, we're at the final uh, Chicago question uh, before we move on to Georgia and let Tiffany get back to her day, unless for some reason she suddenly feels an urge to talk about uh, the Georgia grand jury, which I kind of feel she doesn't. I'll uh, let you handle that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Monroe, like I said earlier, I'm really getting a vibe that it's 1983. And, uh, I mean, I could also make the argument that it's 1989 because 1989 was the take back year. Uh, so I can make that argument in 1989 being the year that, uh, Richard M. Daly defeated, uh, Eugene Sawyer and then Tim Evans. Uh, and then they took back city hall. Uh, so that also works. But uh, that language, some of that language, I guess Vallis is literally saying take back uh, City Hall. We opened with his critical race. Yeah, you know, uh, the thing with the critical race theory yeah. is it is a course for postgraduate students in college. And somehow... Um, the, the right wing has managed to make it for second and third graders. Yeah. <laughs> That's <I> mean, true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it is so ridiculous. But they, this is what they do. They take something that has a kernel of truth. And the kernel of truth is 
critical race theory is that racism in America is institutionalized. Wherever you look, you can find some of it. And so that's true. But then they they have taken it and it's, it's um, oh, our poor, sweet little white children, it's going <laughs> to hurt their feelings if they find out that we were lynching black folks and that sort of thing. Oh, it's, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, by the way, the, the, I mean, but here's the reality. It's just, you cannot, how do I say this? You cannot have a discussion about, uh, American history without coming face to face with racism. Right. So let's say it is just second graders and you're just giving a quote a relatively innocent discussion of Rosa Parks, who's one of the great heroes of the 20th century, in my right. humble opinion. Right. And then you got to go, she refused to go to the back of the bus. Okay. That's the story that you could tell a second grader or a first grader or whatever, third grader. Right. Then you got to explain why she would have to go to the back of the bus in the first place. Right. Like what was being protected and forcing her to go back to the bus. So that I believe is what I'm again, I'm trying to read Paul Vallis's mind. Uh, he's getting at when he says it would make white children okay. feel Val ashamed. Vallis, Vallis is big um Pig, uh, pig backing, uh, whatever, uh, off of DeSantis. That's what he's doing with that thing. That's just that's just a, a whole DeSantis thing. And he's going, oh yeah, well this will work. It works working in Florida. Let yeah. me try it here in Chicago. I, I don't know, Monroe. You may be giving him too much credit. You may like, oh, he doesn't really believe it. I'm assuming that if he said it, he believed it. But there, there's so much. I think there's, there's so many. Dallas knows better. Dallas is bullshit. He knows he, he, he may be, but he still, to me, he still said it. And I'm like, I, I agree. Oh, he, he said, said it. So he, no, 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 right. Exactly. <laughs> he said it. You got to own it unless you disown yeah. it. And the thing is that a lot of these people are still alive today. Like, if we really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, like Emmett Till and the white woman that got him killed, that woman is still alive today. Yeah. And you have to have that conversation. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming she has children and grandchildren and stuff, but can you imagine? You live down the street, you're a little white kid. You live down the street from the woman that got Emmett Till killed. And you have to have that conversation with that child about why that happened and how the people, her husband and everybody else got off for what they did. These people are still living <laughs> to this day. And these people are still around. And these people are grandparents, they're great grandparents, and they do not want to have these conversations with their family members. They want to act like this, the whole, the whole preface around white folks is that this is not connected to me i didn't do this or this happened uh in the 1800s this was so long ago these people are still alive <laughs> we or or we can count back a generation from the last person that's still alive and it, it's very it's it, the history is not distant and no one wants like you have to accept that and admit that and live with that if you're having these conversations and also to add to it um when we talk about policing and the fact that the history of policing comes out of slave patrols. You got to have that conversation as well. The whole system of policing is built around oppressing Black people. And so 
when a, when a white police officer kills a black man, as Paul Vallis's son did in San Antonio, you now have to have a racial conversation about that, whereas folks don't want to do that. Folks just want to say, well, he had a gun, and so the police shot him. No, that is a much deeper conversation that has to be had about the system of policing. But then when you question the system of policing, then you have people now that's growing up saying, well, I don't want to be a police officer. I don't know about that. That's kind of racist. It's kind of oppressive. It's, it, it's all connected to one big thing. And that's if you get rid of critical race theory at all ages, you don't have to have those difficult conversations. Well, we'll see uh, where Paul Vallis goes with this. Uh, I have watched with amusement uh, as he is trying to walk back some of the other daffy things he's done. Uh, Tiffany going out to uh, uh, Wake, Illinois at their fundraiser over the summer, a really transphobic group uh, to preach how uh, what they should do is align themselves. I'm not making this up. That's what the man said. Align themselves up with the, with the police unions to work against the teachers unions. This is what he said. Uh, and then when Kelly Garcia, shout out Kelly Garcia, broke the story for the Chicago Reader, uh, he was like, oh, well, wait, <laughs> I didn't know that it was a transphobic group. Uh, I never heard of Google. What, you can Google something and find out? Oh, wow. It'll, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how much the Chicago press follows up on this issue with Vallis. You know, uh, to see if they press him on this or if they just go, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> Let's That's move Val on. There's nothing to see here. That's Vallis being Vallis. Right. Uh, exactly. uh, you know, well, we'll see. I know one uh, I know one uh, representative of the Chicago press corps that's going to press him on it. The tribe. I think they're going <laughs> to press him on it. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany's already texting reporters. Get out there and ask Vallis a question <laughs> about that. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll just be ready for the trolls to attack us once again, and they'll show up again once we say something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come on, trolls. Leave them alone, all right? Yeah. Dang, I mean, that was ridiculous. Uh, first of all, trollster, that one quote that you read didn't even address Vallis's point, trollster. Like, you made one other point. Vallis was talking about how pa white parents would not be able to, one more time. Before we leave, <laughs> I'm going to ask Tiffany, before I let her go, please explain to me how teaching a kid about Rosa Parks will lead that kid to rebel against his parents' common sense and advice. One last chance, uh, Tiffany, to uh, explain this. It's something that exists in the mind of Paul Vallis. Help me out. Because if I'm a young white child, why should I feel that my parents or my grandparents like treated this person wrongly and treated them like a dog and 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 abused them and lynched them and 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 killed them like intentionally why why as a child do i want to think that why as a child do i want to grow up thinking of my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my lineage in that way like we're just nice people who are out here saving the world and uh, we brought Manifest Destiny here. We actually helped these Black people. We helped them get to where they are today. So why would, why would we talk about hurting them? That's, 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 that's ridiculous. And, and my, my, my nanny is Black, and she was always nice <laughs> to me. <laughs> right. I love my nanny. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. I think I figured it out based on what you said, Tiffany. I think I figured it out. 
So essentially what Vallis is saying, and Paul, I'm just taking a trip through your brain. Oh, my goodness. Some of the v- DVDs you got in the 90s, Paul. Just kidding. Uh, I'm taking a trip through the Paul Vallis brain. And I think what he's saying <laughs> is that if you teach white children that their white parents were part of a society that did bad things to black people, then those white children will never believe anything the white parents do. And so they will, uh, when the white parent says, take out the garbage, they'll say, no, you were bad to black people. I am not going to take out the garbage. I think that's what's going on in the Palvalis brain, Tiffany. I, I want to thank you for helping me. Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise translated is, I can't guilt my, tri- my, my, my children if they take it out the garbage because they think I, I'm a racist. <laughs> <laughs> to which I would say, shut up and take out the garbage and eat and your broccoli. Your, and your child screams back, no, mom, you're a racist. Like, people don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can see the disruption right now at dinner tables throughout the city of Chicago as kids go, no, I'm not going to do it because you're a racist. You voted for Bernie Epton. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh lord oh lord uh tiffany before i let you go give uh give any information people need to know to find all that great stuff you guys are doing at tribe spell the name uh yes. some people may have trouble with the spelling of the name uh so take it away give a plug to the tribe go ahead you can read all of our excellent election coverage at the tribe that's t-h-e-t-r-i-i-b-e.com uh, we have a, an election center on our site where you can find out what wards you live in. You can find out what police district you live in because we're voting for police district council members for the first time. We have a voter guide on there. Thanks to Jim and the Chicago Reader, uh, an excellent voter guide about, um, you know, who's running in the police district races because the FOP has money and candidates in the um, in the police district races. So, you know, read up and and get all the information that you need so you can make an educated decision when you go to the polls on February 28th, which is Tuesday, which is six days away. An educated decision uh, being different than what Chicagoans usually do when they go to the polls. <laughs> it's our time to take it back. That's who I'm voting for. We're taking Chicago back. We <laughs> We're to. taking Chicago back to where are they taking us back to? That's the other thing. What? Where are we going? That was so great. You know what I mean? <laughs> make chicago great again monroe that's funny all right tiffany i'm gonna let you go before i subject you to uh georgia grand jury talk so Thank get you. on with your day good and y'all and it's good seeing you monroe always all right pleasure. Okay. don't be a stranger tiffany i'm gonna bring you back to the show thank you very much all right good. uh all right monroe let's get down to business uh the grand jury in georgia that uh, <laughs> Uh, we ordinarily we could have spent an hour in that, but you know, the Chicago mayoral election is not going to last forever, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll be, uh, coming back to, uh, right. Uh, we'll be talking about it next week because we will have some results. Yeah, we will have some results. No, we'll know that we'll, uh, well, they, now they're saying, uh, that the, it's going to take a while because, um, it's going to be so close. So they're going to have to count, uh, the uh, ballots that come in through the mail. So it's not going to be like a usual thing where the election is called within 24 hours. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, we just, but I think by this time next week, we'll probably know who came in first at the very least. All right. Uh, so, wow. Man, and this by is- this time next week, um, some of Trump's people may be indicted, <laughs> including him. 
this is deep, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what's what's coming out of Georgia. So what happened was there's been an investigation by a special grand jury uh, that was appointed uh, by the prosecutor in Fulton County. Uh, and they were investigating uh, what Trump did and when did he do it? What did he know and when did he know it? Uh, and what did all his little uh, acolytes and allies know and when did they know it regarding an attempt to subvert the process the election process in Georgia uh, and take a state that voted for Joe Biden and turn it over to Donald Trump. And of course, on record, we already know that Trump attempted to do it because there's the recorded phone call uh, that Trump made to the secretary of state of Georgia, Brad Raffersperger, where he said, what, I don't know, I need a thousand votes or whatever it is. Just get me the a thousand votes, which was the margin that Biden. 11,807. You that's know, what he needs because that's what he, needs. he lost by eight. He, he lost by 11,869. Yeah. So he just needed one more vote. One more vote. Uh, yeah, what uh, he lost that. Uh, it's it supposed to be found. It was supposed to be found. Yes, just find me those votes. Uh, so for the last several uh, weeks, there's been an investigation by a special jury, uh, various. Uh, uh, MAGA folks, Lindsey Graham, Rudy Giuliani uh, were brought down. Donnie Trump did not go uh, testify before that jury. Uh, and then it was like yesterday, I think it was, or the day before. I can't remember. Losing track of time. Uh, the young woman, Emily uh, Coors is her name, who was the forewoman of the jury, uh, sat down and gave interviews with various reporters. Monroe, I've never seen anything like it. Here's my mind blown. Ever heard a grand right. jury? Right. <laughs> this, this, this is yeah. unprecedented. Yeah. For a grand jury, uh, and and, and, and yeah. those practitioners of the art of grand jury, <laughs> their mind is triple blown. They can't believe it. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and, too bad you haven't seen. You should you should go to MSNBC or someplace and see the interview. This girl is so sweet. She's thirty years old, and she is like innocent and sweet. You you, you don't detect any. Um, decisions made along political lines with this but this is how the juries should act and this is what they should be doing she she's a she's a millennial and she's thinking oh this should all be open where people know what's going on instead of secret <laughs> so she she's just spilling the beans all over the place she said that there are a dozen indictments coming yeah and she was asked specifically if one of them might be, you know who, <laughs> Donnie. Yeah, <laughs> and she says, um, "I can't talk about that, but maybe." <laughs> uh, yeah. To the point of of her innocence, um, she's thirty years old, and uh, she acknowledged that she did not vote in twenty twenty, right. which. I mean, this kind of reminded me, uh, we actually had this conversation uh, on the mic uh, when uh, Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson of the 11th Ward uh, was convicted of uh, some corruption. I can't remember what the exact corruption was. There's so many corruption trials. Uh, and uh, the juror, one of the jurors was interviewed by the Sun-Times. She was a 30-year-old, I want to say, from the suburbs. And she said she had never heard of the day. <laughs> Every time I, I couldn't believe it. Remember, I'm like Monroe. 
please explain to me how can you be 30 years old and not have heard of the dailies and you said well she's from the suburbs you're like well they got news in the suburbs you know except the young people yeah. that generation they don't do news they don't do they do they do the internet and so if it and basically with the internet it is it's mainly current stuff i mean very current stuff uh, okay. this this, uh, this course girl woman yes. 30 year old had not heard the give get me the 11,870 vote she had not heard that quote yeah been out there for, for two years yeah. and she yeah. hadn't heard it until the trial the, the um the, the grand jury and um came forth and that's when she first heard it she knew it she knew nothing about it before that they live in a different world than we do. Well, clearly she's not a listener to the Wednesday segment of, of Monroe Anderson and the Ben Jarofsky's. <laughs> clearly she's not been listening to this podcast. Uh, had she been listening to this podcast, it would be a different story. Uh, so it was the voice of innocence itself uh, that made it clear that Donald Trump will probably be indicted uh, in Georgia unless the... Um, uh, the prosecutor there just gets too nervous because it is kind of a scary thing to do. Let's when you think about it, you're you're not just indicting uh, Donald Trump. You're like whipping MAGA up into a frenzy. I don't know. Maybe Paul Ballas will issue a statement saying uh, it's a witch hunt. Who knows how far uh, to the to the MAGA side of thing he he will go. Uh, and then essentially uh, MAGA just turns on you, and Fox turns on you, and. Uh, you become uh, the recipient of a lot of hostility. Oh, Fox! Fox has its own problems right now. I don't know if you you, you happen to see see this or not, but uh, where the, the, come to come come to, to behold, the Fox anchors were lying when they were telling people that the election was stolen. They knew better. They knew it was crazy, uh, and they were emailing each other saying as much. But then when they go on the air, and they're trying to steal the election from the president, <laughs> it, 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 it was so unsavory, so dishonest, so hypocritical. I mean, it, anything anything negative you want to call it, it, it works. Well, this gets back to what you said about Paul Vallis, when you kind of let him off the hook. Uh, we we talked a lot about the idiocy of Paul Vallis's comments about critical race theories and how it's going to uh, cause white kids to rebel against their parents and not eat their broccoli. Uh, and then you said, based on your knowledge of Paul, you don't think he really believes it. It's just some uh, you know propaganda he's throwing out, uh, some red meat, uh, right. as they say, that he's throwing out to MAGA, his MAGA followers. Uh, and so essentially, that's what's been determined in the Dominion lawsuit is that uh, everyone from uh, Tucker Carlson to Laura Ingram, trying to remember any of the others. Judge, uh, judge um, whatever her name is. Judge. I don't, the, the judge actually take, well, what, both these various personalities did not believe the nonsense that right. Sidney Powell uh, and, uh, and Rudy Giuliani were spouting, uh, but they felt compelled to repeat it because they didn't lose their audience uh, and take a hit in the ratings battle against the other MAGA news outfit. Uh, and so and they were essentially saying they didn't believe it, but they said it anyway. Uh, 
And um, yeah, so that's the Paul Ballas uh, correlation. So if this uh, if Trump is indicted, what's your thoughts about the impact it'll have on the Republican primaries, uh, the, the Republican decision as to who they'll run against Joe Biden? You know, we, we have so many cards up in the air now. I can't, it's hard to predict now. Uh, I mean, because you have, Fox may be imploding as we speak as a result of this Dominion uh, lawsuit that's happening. So if, if they fall apart, then MAGA won't have the voice that, 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 that they, the propaganda instrument that they've used so well. If Trump gets indicted, he has, he has at least two serious indictments, maybe three or four. If he gets indicted in two of those, then that's going to have some impact. Uh, some of the players who who want to be run against Trump or want to be the candidate are up to their chin, chinny chin chins, and the scandal with the d- denial about uh, whether Trump won the race or not. So it's, it's so many things, and all these these things are are racing towards some inf- inflection point. Yeah. And it's going to be explosive. Well, it's a decision. Let's say, for instance, Nikki Haley, former governor of uh, the state yeah. of South Carolina, just announced that she's running uh, for the Republican nomination. I watched her campaign announcement. What a piece of work that was. Right. Uh, and uh, so if you're Nikki Haley and Donald Trump is indicted, and one of the chief pieces of evidence they use is the phone call that we all know about, so you can't ignore it and avoid it, do you say, do you... Uh, keep a hold of MAGA by going, this is a, a disgraceful witch hunt and they've overreached? Uh, or do you say, do you stick with the law enforcement and go, well, there's clear evidence uh, that Donald Trump tried to overturn an election and I stand by my fellow prosecutors and law enforcement officials and their efforts to unroot it. And then she will have a decision to make, as will Ron DeSantis and everybody, every other Republican who runs. Uh, so what do you think and, you're going to do? She's not going to go that far. Yeah, she she's she's not going to go. She's not going to denounce Trump. Uh, De- DeSantis is trying to figure out how he can do it and not lose the base yeah. himself. So what 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 you, what we're what we're going to end up with, I think, as things are developing now, is a Republican who has. Um, sort of walk the line like a Chris Christie or um, yeah, the guy from Ohio, I forget his name, he, he's forgotten his name, Not who ran before, ran for president. John Kasich. Yeah, John Kasich. You know, we're going to end up with one of those types, I think, as the, the candidate. You really believe that, that uh, you're going to get... I don't even know what to call them, uh, like a quote-unquote moderate. They're really not even that moderate. You no, think they're you're not. Gonna, <laughs> right, no. You think you're going to – but they are moderate if you compare them to, let's yeah, say, they're not uh, crazy. Rod DeSantis. Right. Yeah, not right. insane. They're, 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 they're just um, garden-variety Republicans. <laughs> I, I, I don't think uh, MAGA will tolerate that. I don't, And MAGA controls it. I believe – uh, it'll have to be someone like Ron DeSantis who came to Elmhurst, suburban Elmhurst, uh, earlier this week and just, uh, you know, threw tons of red meat at uh, the MAGA crowd. 
uh, it, it'll be someone like him. I can't imagine. They're, they're shrinking, and we still have a year to go, a little more than a year, 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 and a, year and a half to go. They're shrinking. More crap is coming out, and all the benefits that Sleepy Joe <laughs> slipped through the, the Congress are now actually beginning to kick in. And so uh, those who were angry may not be as angry as they were. All right, you're going to, Monroe is just so eager to take a, a victory lap for Sleepy Joe. But before, uh, I've already asked you to help me understand Paul Vallis's uh, mind. All right, now you got to help up with Nikki Haley. All right. So we did, we took a trip through Paul Vallis's brain a little earlier. Now I'm going to go to Nikki Haley. I got this quote from her announcement. All right. And in her announcement speech, which was just filled with the American flag and this, that, and the other thing, and how great and wonderful she is. Uh, she said she likes to stand up to bullies. Okay. She goes, I hate bullies. Right. When, when you kick back, it hurts more if you're wearing heels. That's what she said. Uh-huh. It's like she's a woman kicking back. And I'm like, I know I'm a literal, very literal minded Monroe. I know people bet you're way too literal mind, but I'm trying to figure out how does it hurt more if you kick back if you're wearing heels? The heel is like not going to be the part that kicks you. You know what I'm saying? Well, it, it, it depends on how you, what type of kick you deliver. <laughs> However, she was, she, what she was doing was borrowing from Ginger Rogers. And Fred is there. Yeah. And Ginger did the same thing Fred did, but she did it backwards and in heels. Oh, okay, I get that. It's harder yeah. to dance in heels than in flat. I get that. But is she saying she's like doing a karate kick? The thing, okay, <laughs> this woman is not creative. She's not imaginative. Yeah. She's a go along, get along um, Republican. Yeah. And she's not going to rock the boat. And she's not going to be president. She's not going to be the, the nominee. They, she she may, and this is what she is running for, as vice president. You've been saying Kamala that. Got it, got it You've been saying the, that consistently. You've been yes. saying that consistently for right. uh, for several weeks. Right. Uh, but I, I see her. So if she's doing a karate kick like Bruce Lee, then, okay, now I see. Thank you for, uh, hey, look, t- uh, between you and Tiffany, I figured out what was going on in Paul Vallis' brain, and now thanks to you, it's a karate kick. Now I understand what Nikki Haley was getting there. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's close by allowing you to do a vic- uh, victory celebration. Monroe has been, this goes back, uh three years yes. uh i was bernie monroe was biden monroe was telling me uh, i was unfair to i wasn't biden biden i was saying that for you poor bernie people <laughs> for bernie bros you 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 romanticist <laughs> i was telling you bernie was not going to be the guy yes you were although bernie was very happy much of bernie's um platform is Biden's and the Democrats. So he, he got his way. He just didn't get to get to do it himself. Yeah. So he won, so to speak. But the thing is, as I told you back then, <laughs> had Bernie been the nominee, yeah. Republicans would have had uh, hammer and sickles on every <laughs> advertisement they had. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to do that to Biden, and it really just—I mean, it's a real hard sell. With uh, they can't do it. 
that yeah. they can't do it. You know, they keep trying and trying and trying. But Biden is Scranton Joe. He, yeah. you know, he, he he tells his stories and he uh, and he's a people person. Yeah. I mean, he is really a very good people person. So even the people that don't like him, like him, if they yeah. if they've met him and know him, but he's just a decent human being, unlike that other guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I um, uh, and the other point uh, that Monroe made to me this morning uh, about Joe Biden. Uh, is that the, the one thing that could go against him uh, is if he just has more of an obvious mental decline. He's 80 years old, I think. Yeah, uh, and, and I immediately said to Monroe, Monroe, I said to you what I said to you every time you raise this or anytime anybody raises this, that Americans don't care. They elected Ronald Reagan when he had Alzheimer's. And uh, they elected here, right here in Chicago, elected and reelected and elected and reelected daily, who couldn't get. Put three words together, okay? Uh, so they don't care about coherence. They don't care if you're mentally sharp. If you can just project this image of, like, of competence or popularity, they're lining up. Monroe, they're lining up. They're re- Listen, look at, look at Maggie getting ready. You hear white people on the north side getting ready. White Democrats, white liberals getting ready to vote for paul vallis so you know monroe the well, that's, be, that's because of crime then. that 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 is gonna put those black people in jail <laughs> unbelievable one more time ladies and gentlemen there was crime in the 90s where northsiders were voting for richard m daly just saying yeah so all right very good monroe's uh joe biden your guy looked had a good week, went to uh, Warsaw, gave a speech in the rain, looking very presidential. And I got a lot of lefties sending me emails and tech that I should uh, dig, take a dig, uh, dive into uh, the who throw up the pipeline, the Nord pipeline. And I know there's a lot of folks on the left that just are not buying uh, Joe Biden at all, the far left, the far, far oh, left. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It's, yeah, sore losers. <laughs> You guys are to the left. They, of the they, they were believing. They were. They, they were believing that fairy tales do come true. <laughs> it's not it, real politics. Is what it is. Yeah, real Joe politics is is the man for this era. Uh, all right, Monroe. We'll, we'll close it down there. Uh, and uh, thank you very much. Also, thank you for uh, helping me uh, bring Tiffany to the show. She did a great job. Yeah, she did. You know, and uh, yeah, I love those chat, but make me make her a regular on the Ben Jarofsky show. Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. And I also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job as he always does. Producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And don't forget, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And also find the Ben Jarofsky show all over the internet on your favorite podcasting platforms.